For the past couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you some of the signs from John. And this time, this morning, we actually kind of cross over into another um, uh, place when it comes to the signs. Because the very first sign, whenever Jesus turned water into wine, it said, this is the first sign. And the second sign that we just looked at uh, that took place in John chapter 4, at the very end, it says that this was the second sign. Well, those are the only two times that John specifically says, this is the first sign, this is the second sign. I guess he just kind of figures, you've, you've seen this twice, so now you could kind of count the others for yourself. I, I don't know what he was thinking. But we have to count the others ourselves. Which, by the way, there's a, typically people kind of count those as seven different signs is what it is. It makes a lot of sense, you know, seven kind of a number for, for the, a complete week. And, and God kind of uses that number a lot, so I think... We see in John that he records seven signs. Uh, So here, this week, what we're going to be in is in John chapter 5. We also see something else about this uh, miracle, this sign that's going to take place. It is another healing, but if you remember the healing from last week, the one who was healed was the uh, royal official's son, and that son wasn't really a character in the text. Not, not really. It was kind of an indirect way. You, got, you just got news that he had been healed. Still a miracle nonetheless, but he wasn't really a character. This time, you will see that's not the case. This time, oh, the person who is healed is most certainly a character, is a main character from this story that we're going to take a look at. So John chapter 5 is where we will begin, starting in verse, uh, verses 1 through 3. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse 5 tells us, One who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, uh, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And if you're following in your own Bible, and if you have a red letter edition, you'll kind of notice the rest of this chapter is pretty much in red letters. The only black letters is Jesus gave them this answer, and then it goes into the long answer. So the rest of this chapter is just Jesus teaching. And we're not going to look so much at what Jesus taught the rest of this chapter, but our focus is going to be on this sign that we see. 
and the importance of this sign. And really what I want us to do, and I think is kind of a a pretty good way to take a look at what takes place in in, uh, this uh, miracle, is to take a look at what Jesus says each time. Because there's a lot of significance, very much importance, of every phrase that Jesus says. And some different things that we could also consider for ourselves. You know, what if, what if we were in the place of this man who, who wanted to be healed but just wasn't able to be healed? You know, what, how would we feel about it? And how would we respond to some of Jesus' statements? So in order to take a look at that, let's go back to verse 5 now. When we go back in the text, all the way back here to verse 5, and by the way, maybe you kind of noticed it, but on the, on the PowerPoint over here, I put Jesus' statements in bold and underlined. If I put it in red, you couldn't really see it very well. So that's why I just kind of did it this way. But these are the statements we're going to look at. The first statement Jesus says is this. Do you want to get well? I mean, that's a pretty good question. You might think it's one that just kind of makes sense. I mean, that's, this is kind of one of those occasions whenever I'm reading this and I'm like, well, of course the man wants to get well. I mean, who wouldn't want to get well? That's the whole reason why he's there. Um, but yet, uh, let's take a look, look at this a little bit more. Because my, my first thought was, who would say no to that question? Do you want to get well? Who's going to say no? But when you look at what the man says, he doesn't exactly say yes. You know, I, I find that kind of interesting. In fact, some of the commentaries that I looked at, um, they point out that this man kind of complains. And, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe he does a little bit, but... Um, what we do see with his response is, you know, he says, look, I've got no one to help me into the pool whenever the water is stirred. Now, the whole reason for, you know, this statement and the stirring of the water um, is that uh, it was believed um, by many people around in this area uh, that from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and would kind of stir up the water and whoever could get into the pool first would be healed. Uh, That's what people believed, uh, which is kind of like an interesting thing, you know, anyways. But that's why the guy was there. He was there. He wanted to be the first one in the pool. Now, I don't know how whenever you're an invalid for 38 years, how you're expecting to get to be the first one in the pool. I'm not trying to be funny about that. It's just realistically, I don't know how he was really expecting to be the first person there. But he was at the pool. He He was wanting to receive healing. And we also notice this. Jesus is the one that says, do you want to get well? You know, this is different than the first two miracles, the first two signs that we've seen in John. See, the first two times somebody else approached Jesus and said, look, can you help me out with this? You know, the first time it was the whole, can can you help us out because we're out of wine, we need wine. The second time it was, my son's sick, can you help me? You know, can you help him? Can you heal him? But this time, Jesus is the one that, you know, starts things off. And he's the one that says, that approaches the man and says, do you want to get well? You know, and I I think by all of this, we can kind of piece it together of what's happening here. And we can see Jesus doesn't always perform his miracles, you know, the way that you might always expect it. Sometimes he's the one that approaches them. Sometimes they're the ones that approach him. Some of those details, it's not all that important. Just kind of notice it's not always going to be exactly the same. You know, it's not like Jesus walked around every single day and was kind of making sure that everything, you know, he wasn't like some director, just making sure everything is exactly in the right place and saying, okay, I need to make sure that I, that I come by so that, so that these people see this sign. No, he wasn't doing all of that. He was living his life, showing the glory of God to all the people. That was his purpose. So here in this case, he saw somebody who needed help. And he asked him the question, do you want to get well? And that man's response, you know, he... 
he just kind of starts going off, and maybe you kind of feel like this too. Um, and if we aren't careful, we might do the same thing that he does because Jesus is standing right in front of him. Jesus has just asked him, do you want to get well? And then his response is, well, I don't have anybody to help me out because, you know, whenever the water stirred up, I can't get in. So I just don't have anybody to help me out. Does he realize that he's got someone who's right there in front of him who's willing to help him? You know, it's kind of like he's, he's sort of looking so much at his own situation and what he can't do that he hasn't realized Jesus is offering to help. All he has to do is accept that help. And I think sometimes we are just like this man. That, you know, whenever, whenever God tells us something in his word or whenever we read about, you know, just something that, that God has done or promised to us, you know, we might just start thinking about, well, you know, I've, I've got all these things that, as to why I can't do that or why, you know, it's just not convenient for me to do that or something. And sometimes we just kind of miss it that Jesus is there and he's just asking us, look, do you want to get well? Do you want things to go better? They can. Do you want it? And sometimes we just miss that. Just like this man seems to be missing the fact of this conversation, the importance of the conversation. Now, uh, in his defense, I don't know that he really understands how important Jesus is. Uh, I don't know that he knows too much about Jesus at all. This is just a man that's walked up to him. He doesn't seem to know him because even later, whenever they ask him who healed you, he didn't really even know the guy's name. He just knows he got healed which is also another interesting thing. So God works different ways at different times. There's a lot of things we can see in those. But here, the first question is, do you want to get well? And I think sometimes we need to be aware that when God asks us that, you know, what is our response? How do we respond to that question? The next question that we see, actually, it's not a question, it's a statement. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now it's kind of like this command. Um, that he's going to pick up his mat and he's going to walk. Now, one thing about this statement that Jesus is making here, from the man's perspective, all the evidence up to this point, you know, these 38 years of his life, all the evidence has shown that he cannot do that. But yet he does. You know, when you look at what happens at, after that, it says, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. He followed exactly what Jesus said. So this man is able to experience these things, not because he's looking at, you know, what the evidence up to that point is, is, you know, leading him to believe. No, no, no. He's, he's walking out on faith as to what God is telling him here. And God is telling him, you know, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Just a little bit of an interesting thing. I like to throw these things in every once in a while. But this first uh, phrase, this get up, um, that's actually a term that John uses some other times. And oftentimes he uses that same term about getting up, raising up. That You might see that in your translation instead of get up. It might be something about raising up um, or rise up. That same term is used in connection with Jesus being raised up from the dead as well. So I can't help but you know, kind of put these things together. I think John does this a lot. He gives us hints that, look, Jesus is going to be raised up from the dead. It's going to change everything. So he kind of gives these nice little word hints every once in a while. And this, I think, is one of those. You know, it's a man who, he's not dead. I'm not saying this man is dead. He isn't. No. But he needs to get up. He needs to rise up. And he needs to follow what God has said. And just like later on in John's gospel, Jesus is going to rise up. He's going to, he was dead. And he's going to rise up. And things are going to be different from that moment on. Things are going to change. And things most certainly do change, just like they change for this man. Uh, also, another thing in this, 
if you look at the rest of this chapter and see some of the teaching that Jesus makes, he does make the parallels about rising from the dead and some of those connections. So I don't think that's reading too much into it to notice that word for get up is also about Jesus rising from the dead. I think Jesus is purposely making these statements and telling us that, look, there's, there's something to look forward to. This miracle kind of points toward it. But it's, it's not the miracle, not yet. It just kind of points toward it. That resurrection of Jesus, that's the miracle. That's the big one. And by the way, we're going to cover that one too, okay? We just got to get it there first. But this one, this is a wonderful miracle. And could you imagine the moment of this statement whenever Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? And the man does it. I mean, that is a life-changing experience that has happened to him. However, do you notice how people respond? These Jewish leaders in verse 10, they respond with, well, it's the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing these things. You know, I'm amazed at how many times the religious uh, leaders of Jesus' day kind of get on to him for some like weird stuff. Like this one with the Sabbath, they actually say that the law forbids you to carry your mat. I mean, that's what they say. Um, I believe that if you look into it, that's not what God said. That's kind of what they interpreted God's law to say. And I think we need to be careful about some of those things too. Because if we aren't careful, then we might fall into some similar traps that the Jewish leaders did too. Because it's important to know what God has said and also you know, what he hasn't. And maybe some of like our tradition or whatever. Um, one kind of example of that that you know, we might need to, to, to be careful of, um, I think I might have used this before a few years back, but it, you know, it used to be a, a pretty popular thing for you to put a, like a white cloth or something over the communion tray, uh, over the communion table, and that wasn't like some ceremonious thing, you know, and, and like you had to have some special like uh, unveiling of the, of the Lord's Supper. It, it wasn't anything like that. That cloth had a very practical purpose. It kept flies off the stuff. That's what it was. But you know, at some point, our church buildings kind of started to change and we didn't have as many flies and stuff and it did, we didn't have to keep things off of the Lord's Supper. It just wasn't the case. You know, we, we have a nice building. We don't have to worry too much about flies and whatnot. So that's why we don't have a cloth. You know, we, we don't need that thing. But when you try to hold on to things like that and if you insist that, oh, well, we've got to cover it with a cloth because... You know, that's what we've always done. You know, we got to be aware that God didn't tell us that we have to cover the Lord's Supper with a cloth. You know, that, that's something that is a tradition. And honestly, like in that case, I, personally, I kind of like that because, you know, I don't want to fly in my grape juice or something like that, you know, or somebody else's. Sometimes we do things because they make sense, because they're practical. And that's okay. You know, if you wanted to to follow the Sabbath, this strictly. And if you wanted to say, look, I'm not going to do any of this work at all. You know, okay, they were within, you know, every capability of being able to do that and, and say that for themselves. But what these people were doing is they're kind of taking their own traditions and they're placing on somebody else. We got to be careful we don't do the same thing because that can lead down a very, very bad road at times. So these people... They couldn't even see the miracle properly because they were so focused on, oh, that miracle shouldn't have even taken place on the Sabbath. No, there's, there's so much more that's happening here. Let's take a look at, at another statement that Jesus makes. Now we skip on down to verse 14. This is a statement Jesus makes. He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now let me state this. 
when I read this, and, and I don't know if maybe this is just the, the translation that I chose. Maybe other translations don't read quite like this. It almost kind of sounds like he's threatening them. You know, I, I don't know. It comes across like that to me a little bit. And maybe it comes across like that to you. But yet, I want you to realize this is not a threat. Okay, this isn't a threat at all. Jesus isn't saying, oh, well, you better get your life in line or else, you know, bad things are going to come. That's not how Jesus is making this statement. Because we've got to understand this isn't a threat. It's just a fact of what's going on. And what I mean by that is our sin leads to death. You know, you, you probably even know uh, Romans six twenty three that uh, uh, how we read that the wages of sin is death. And yeah, that's true. But you know, that idea, it wasn't something that, that Paul just started off right there. And that's not the first time we've seen that. If you go back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 3, you find out that what happened was, actually even I guess before that, because God told him, don't eat from the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or else you're going to die. Well, they don't listen. They eat from that tree. They sin against God, and it produces death in their lives. So we have this idea from very, very, very early on that when we sin, it's going to lead to a road of death. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, look, you got to stop sinning. And, I, you know, I don't know what this guy's life was like. You know, I mean, he might have been a big sinner. Uh, he might have been a little sinner, as if there's such a thing. But he was a sinner, or else Jesus' statement, you know, doesn't exactly make sense. You know, he's telling them to repent. And that message is so important today, too, that we need to realize, yeah, we do have to stop sinning because something worse might happen to us. That worse that, he's, that, uh, that Jesus is referring to, he doesn't come right out and say it right here, but I guess I, I will at, at this point, but that something worse is hell. That's what Jesus is talking about. And here in this He's saying you got to stop sinning because there is a worse way to live than just being an invalid for 38 years. You know, most of you might be thinking, that's pretty bad. Yeah, it kind of is, but it's nothing compared to just what, what, what hell is, the description that we read about there. That's what Jesus' warning is to this man. And also that warning is so relevant to us too, that we've got to repent. You know, if we have sin in our life, we need to change. We need to be people who recognize the importance of following Jesus Christ. And this man, he didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but he was learning it every time that Jesus opened his mouth. He was learning more about Jesus and more about what he was supposed to be doing here. There's also another statement, one final statement that we'll look at uh, from Jesus. And that is found in verse 17. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. And I think this statement, we can see a lot about the nature of God and what he's doing. He is still active. You know, he's always been active since, since he started creating things. He's always been active. And here, Jesus was saying he's active to this very day. I'd say that God is still active even to this very day, too. You know, we're 2,000 years down the road. Well, he's still active to this very day as well. And then Jesus says that he is working. Well, are we going to follow the example of Jesus? Because if we follow the example of Jesus, then we should still be working too. You know, that, that's how it comes down to. And the type of work that he's talking about, it's, it's not just, you know, kind of working for your livelihood. No, the type of working that Jesus is talking about is bringing about deliverance for people, spiritual deliverance, spiritual salvation. That's the type of work 
that Jesus was involved in. And also telling people about these things, that's the type of work that we have got to be involved in too. And I know I said that this is the final statement, and that, that is kind of the final statement of Jesus that I want us to look at. However, I want us to, to end at looking at some of those, just kind of a couple of paragraphs that are found in the rest of this chapter where Jesus just kind of lays some things out and tells us a little bit more about the, the purpose behind all this. Anyways, with, without kind of going into more detail than that, let's just take a look at some of the statements that Jesus continues to make to these people after this miracle has taken place. He says this, beginning in verse 24 now. So we'll look at verses 24 uh, through verse 30. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. And in these final words, this is kind of why I wanted us to to take a look at this of what Jesus shares with those people and the significance of it. Because he's talking right right here about how, look, if we are people who are going to hear the word of God, if we are people who are going to believe that Jesus has been sent by God, then we have crossed over from death into life. And just like that man how he was you know, raised up and he was able to walk and, and his life was going to be different from that moment on. Our life can be completely different after we believe in Jesus Christ and after we put our faith and our trust in him. It can be the difference between life and death. Uh, that's what it means to come from that death and into life. We also see this other statement that Jesus makes. And he tells us a very powerful thing. That everybody is going to be raised. You know, every individual that you have ever met, or really if you want to get even bigger than that, every individual who has ever lived is going to be raised up from the dead. Now to some, it's going to be a good thing. To some, it's not. The way Jesus put it is that those who have done what is good, they're going to rise to live. Those who have done what is evil, they're going to rise to be condemned. It's at the same time that they're going to be raised, but the type of resurrection is entirely different. So the question that that we need to ask ourselves in this case is, how's that resurrection going to be for me? Am I going to be one that's been doing good and I'm going to receive this life? I'm going to be able to live? Or have I been doing evil? And is it going to be this condemnation that comes my way? See, that's something that we've got to look at and we've got to realize. And we also have to notice... All those that we come in contact with, whether we like them or not, they are going to be raised up from the dead. What is their resurrection going to be like? And you know, sometimes it just takes you simply saying a few words to them, just kind of sometimes even just being a friend to those people before it makes the difference in what their resurrection is going to be like. There's kind of a little bit of a food for thought that Jesus was was sharing with us, and I, I think it's so important. That's why I wanted to at least include this about what Jesus says. And I would encourage you, 
when you go home, read the rest of this chapter. It's great about Jesus' teaching on the importance of that miracle and the importance of, of what it means, the difference that Jesus can make in our own lives. He can still make a huge difference and he still will make a huge difference. Like the difference from passing from death to life. The choice is yours as to which type of resurrection you will receive. God's already done everything that he could possibly do in order to save you. Now it's, now it's your turn. What are you going to do? Are you going to rise up and are you going to follow God?